0: On this week's episode of 321GO Podcast, we're joined by Mr. Dave Whitson. Dave is the owner and head coach of CrossFit Soar. Well, in all actuality, Dave and I didn't get to any of the notes that I had planned, uh, on the things that I wanted to ask him, because the conversation just flowed very naturally. This is a really cool conversation because... Uh, Dave actually didn't found the gym that he runs. He actually picked up the gym from somebody else who opened it and then decided that, hey, this I don't want to run this thing as a hobby. I kind of need to make this thing a business. And actually, Dave came in and just turned this thing into a very healthy CrossFit affiliate. Um, so this is a really cool episode that is all about taking a hobby gym and turning it into a full-on business gym. Dave shares with us the entire story, some tips and tricks that he used. And he is the one thing about Dave that I really enjoy is that he is like a doer and a learner. And you could tell that when Dave first got into owning the gym, he really didn't know how to do marketing, and now this guy is a rock star. You you'll hear him talk about how he fills up uh, a lot of his specialty programs and things that he does, and how he I think he uses the term relentless uh, marketing. You know, relentlessly sharing the story of CrossFit sort, which I think was a really cool language uh, because he you can tell if you follow his Instagram, follow his Facebook, you can just see this guy does not let up. And and it's a great lesson for all of us to see. So I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. A big shout-out and a thank you for Dave uh, for taking the time to come on the show. We'll see you next week. Welcome, listeners, to this week's episode of 321GO podcast. We're joined by Dave Whitson. Uh, Dave is the owner of CrossFit Soar in Hawthorne, New Jersey. Dave, thanks for coming on the show.
1: Uh, Thanks. I appreciate it.
0: So, Dave, uh, I was introduced to you by Jamie Gallagher. He's one of our business coaches and consultants here at 321GO. And you're a member of one of his mastermind groups. Is that correct? Yes. Okay, awesome. Uh, Yeah, so so Jamie, strangely enough, Jamie sent me a text message one day. And he's like, you need to get this guy Dave on the show. He's real dialed in with stuff. And I think his term—I think he said you're a no bullshit professional, which I definitely want to dig into. <laughs> Would you describe yourself as a no bullshit professional, Dave?
1: Um, I mean, I guess so in some cases. Absolutely. Um, I have a tendency not to use people skills when it comes to people that I trust and I want to get stuff done with. And then with my clients, I use way more people skills. So I have been known to get direct to the point and not kind of dance around at times.
0: (laughs) I like that a lot. I I definitely am going to ask you for an example of that, Dave. But I do kind of want to hear, what is your impression of being a member of a mastermind? Is kind of getting together with other entrepreneurs and business owners, is that something you've always done since you were a gym owner? Is this kind of a, a newer thing for
1: you? Um, so being part of the 3 to one go mastermind is newer for me. Um, I went to a 3 to one go seminar, I guess it was three, four years ago in Massachusetts. And that was my first time getting around other affiliate owners in that type of setting where we're talking shop instead of just a normal, hey, how you doing? Great to see you or promoting events. Um, and then when I came back to New Jersey, I actually emailed some uh, owners in the area to try and create our own mastermind group in the area. And I got very little to no feedback. So um, when I saw that three to one go was going to do it, I hopped right on it just because it's very valuable and people don't realize it. But a lot of times you feel like you're all by yourself as an affiliate owner or any business owner. So it gives you an opportunity to speak to people and hear that they're going through some of the same things, or they've been through it and they're doing well now. So um, it really is priceless to be part of something like that. So highly recommend it.
0: Yeah, I heard somebody say the other day. Actually, no, this is somebody that uh, works for me. We were having a conversation the other day. And we were kind of talking about you know he's in a managerial level, and we we're talking about being the last in a chain of command so for you know you know for him, this is things related to programming uh coaching and the facility you know he's the last he's the decision maker he's the last in the chain of command, yep. and we we're sort of talking about how oftentimes that can be an empowering place, but many times that can be a lonely place as well so I guess my question for you, Dave, is what, are some thi- what has this outlet been like for you? Is it, is it learning or is it primarily like, hey, I'm not alone. I'm not a crazy person. This is normal shit that everybody's dealing with.
1: So it's a little bit of both. Um, it's great to hear people going through the same stuff. Um, it's also hate to, It's great to hear people go through stuff that I've figured out too. So it's like, okay, I'm not as bad as I thought I was. Like I'm doing okay. There's some things that I actually got going on that are good. And then um, just because there's people that are doing way better than you as well, um, there's always advice. There's always people that can give you something to do. And since it is a mastermind group, you're accountable for it because the next week you better talk about what you did. So it helps a lot because they hold you accountable and usually you don't have that beside your bank account. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it helps.
0: That's a really interesting point because the bank account is almost like a lagging indicator, right? Think about it as... I think about this like fitness, right? Your body composition change is sort of a lagging indicator of the things that you're doing. It'll be, you know, let's just say it's 8 weeks, 10 weeks, 12 weeks before, let's say, your body fat percentage goes down from when you've implemented the habits of body composition change. So in a weird way, it's, you know, your bank account will have, you know, two, three quarters where you're really crushing it. It's almost as a result of something you did six months ago. Do you find that to be the case?
1: Uh, yeah. So it's always lagging in the way it shows up. And um, depending on how you do your marketing and what you offer for discounts or whatever, it does take time. So it's very hard to wait out the process and kind of see the long end of the tail. So it's very true, though.
0: <laughs> I had a really – so even with Jamie, you're, you know the mastermind coach – I had this really interesting experience with him. We, we had gone to a conference together, and afterwards, we were just kind of sitting down, having a drink after the last day, kind of going over it. And I sort of told him, I was like, man, there's a lot of gyms in here that I really respect, I've looked up to for a long time. And it was, it was a good experience for me to – it's almost like hitting fast forward, right? So let's say you've been open for five years, and you're looking at, all right, here's an affiliate that's been open for ten that I really look up to. Uh, just It's a way for, when you look at those people and you put more successful people around you, you're like, ooh, I'm doing more right now than they were doing at that time. So can I accelerate past that? Or, you know, I'm on the right track. I've implemented all of the best practices that they did five years ago. It's like hitting fast forward and being able to see, all right, if I add time to this equation, I'll see similar success. Is that is that sort of what you're talking about?
1: Yeah, a lot of times, um, if you look too far ahead, you have a tendency to take take your hand off the pump of what's working right now. So um, I had someone explain it to me, like uh, the old water pumps, where if you pump them real hard, the water starts flowing, and then you don't have to pump as hard. And so many of us stop pumping before the water comes, Mm -hmm. um, before all this work actually takes effect. And sometimes you can kind of get stuck future tripping and uh, switching pumps instead of sticking with the one you're on. Future
0: tripping. Uh, Explain that. I love that. I think I know where you're going with that, but I love that term.
1: Uh, future tripping is worrying about stuff that hasn't happened yet. So you make all these decisions based on unknown instead of known variables. So, um, we all have a tendency to do it. It was one of my biggest weaknesses when I first got started. It was all, um, just in case stuff instead of, Hey, this is working. Let's stay with this long enough to see if it works. So I'd always make all these decisions based on these future unknowns that I can't control. So I was getting all stressed and anxious over stuff that didn't really, they were outside my realm of control. So it just messed me up all the time. So I had to change my focus a lot. I love that.
0: It's a very, so, it's a very stoic approach uh, to take in business. I, I love that concept. Dave, can you think of an example of something that you future tripped on that turned out to be no big deal at all?
1: Um, so for me personally, it's never been a, uh, a business finance thing sometimes. Uh, it's been more uh, relationships with my coaches or with clients so it would be, oh, man, I have to talk to this coach. I don't know what they're going to say. They don't get upset. Last time we talked, they really got mad. What am I going to do? And I would stress out about what all these people were thinking, but they work for me. I need to have open lines of communication with them. And the vast majority of time where I sat down with them to talk about something that was serious, it went completely different than I thought. Yeah. So um, we recently did a whole coach's review where I was like, hey, we have this many staff members. We need to cut back. We have too many staff members. So this was literally a competition between coaches. And I had to sit down with someone who was a trainer at my gym before I actually took on partnership in it. So they were a trainer before I was here. So I took over the gym, I didn't start it. Um, but uh, so I sat down, I had this long conversation with them. I'm, I'm, I'm just like, oh no, here come the tears, something bad's gonna happen. Instead, they embraced the opportunity, they were grateful, they admitted that they haven't been doing their job well. And here I was stressing about this for two weeks talking to my wife about it, talking to my business partner about it, and it turned out to be nothing. So it turned out to be a good move for both of us. But I, all the stress was getting into other areas of my life because it was all that was on my mind. So I wasn't proactive in other areas, all worried about what may happen, and it wasn't at all what I thought it was going to be. So that,
0: That's really intense, Dave. There's a lot that I want to un- unpack out of that. So is this, did you have to let this, this uh, team member go?
1: No, we took her off of uh, group classes just because she wasn't doing her job well and the other coaches were doing better. Um, So most of what she does now is beginner work. So all our new people start with personal training and she is great with new people. She's very welcoming. People feel like they're friends with her right away. So we utilize her for those as well as personal training, specifically women who are looking to lose weight. So um, we found other avenues for her. Um, We couldn't guarantee her a certain amount of money because now it's dependent upon her more. And you know, there's certain times of the year where we have a lot of personal training and foundations compared to other times, but um, we gave her an opportunity to kind of create her own market more if she wanted to. Mm. And so part of that has worked out, part of it hasn't because she has to be more proactive, but um, the transition has worked. So,
0: David, sounds like you're saying the overarching theme here is finding roles that people will thrive in, and it sounds like this person was not thriving in a group class role, and you found a role that she could thrive in.
1: Yes, exactly. So um, we have certain trainers we don't do any personal training with just because they feed off the energy of the class. So they're kind of slow moving and distracted in a one-on-one setting, um, which is funny to say like they're distracted, like they need more interaction with people than one-on-one. So um, they do more of our group classes. And then uh, we have some people that are excellent at personal training. Um, My wife being one of them, she has a lot of personal training and people ask for her by name and uh, she gets recommended by people. So um, she definitely does a good job on that end. So, again, we're trying to find what fits for them so they're happy, and happy people are productive. So,
0: mm, Happy people are productive. I love that. I'm going to write that down, actually. <laughs> uh, so, Dave, we kind of jumped all over the place right at the beginning. I yeah. think let's back up and talk about things. So you are the owner of CrossFit Soar in Hawthorne, yep. New Jersey. So you took over CrossFit Soar. Uh, talk to me yes. about when was CrossFit Soar founded And then when did you take that over?
1: So I believe it was 2010 it was started in uh, this guy, Steve Kiefer's Garage. Um, He's actually on the Mastermind Calls Me as well. It's been a lot of fun. Um, He also owns another business called U.S. Elite Gear. So he does tactile and online, tactile and e-commerce stuff, so government sales, um, all high-end stuff. And uh, so he had this gym, and he really wanted to be part of a way to give back to the community. He had rehabbed his back using CrossFit. He really messed it up in the military. had some serious surgery. Um, which is funny now, cause he can deadlift way more than most people in the gym. So he's a little bit of a human crane. Nice. Um, yeah. So I was working at schools. I was working with, uh, kids with autism and I need a little bit of break from that during the summer. So what I already was training people out of my house, um, doing small group stuff, mostly geared towards athletes for the most part and working with track and field teams. And, um, literally I walked into this gym that was 1300 square feet or 1500 square feet of space. Half of it was retail for his other company. Half of it was a gym. I was like, there's no way I'm staying here. Not a chance I'm staying here. And before I could walk out, Steve walked out to interview me, so I kind of had to stay. And then, um, yeah, (laughs) it's kind of funny. But um, it was up on the second floor. Couldn't drop weights. Real small. There wasn't a pull-up rig. There was just random pull-up bars. There was two squat racks. It just wasn't what I was looking for. And uh, fast forward over that summer, we talked. Um, a lot and our kind of core values lined up with what we wanted to do and so that was four almost going on five years ago now and I took over kind of the managing side of the gym so um, Steve is very focused on his business and then I take care of uh, CrossFit Soar so at that time there was around 20 people showing up to the gym and there was eight paying members <laughs> So uh, I love that
0: it's like hey maybe yeah, slip 20 bucks uh, this month uh, if you got it
1: yeah. So there was no systems. There was no SOPs and that stuff. Um, it was kind of all run as a hobby. And I was always told hobbies kind of cost money. Businesses make them. So, uh, fast forward now where have, uh, we bought a building. So, um, upstairs is us elite downstairs is CrossFit store. So we have 5,000 square feet to ourselves, um, property with a parking lot. We have no neighbors next to us on one side. It just goes to a river. And then, uh, everyone around us is, there's an auto body place, repair and stuff like that. So we have no noise complaints. We can do what we want to do, barbecue outside. Um, it's freeing. But uh, fast forward now, it's been somewhere around five years, close to it. And uh, according to front desk, we have 256 memberships. Um, so it's been it's been an adventure.
0: Congratulations! Oh <laughs> well, yeah,
1: things are a lot better. That, Thanks. Appreciate that's it.
0: awesome, Dave. There's a lot to unpack here. Let's let's start with this. Who, the original founder, Steve, is what, was that his name? Yep, Steve, yep. Okay, so uh, this is a story that I hear a lot. And I want to get your perspective as a person stepping in to seeing this story because I foresee in the next five or so years this happening a lot more, people stepping in and taking over affiliates. Uh, it's a common story. Uh, I'm a member of a CrossFit gym. I, I fall in love with CrossFit. I have this life-changing experience. I'm really into the community. And, wow, this looks like I could make some serious coin doing this. I'm going to go from member to gym owner. Uh, and that, to me, is a very difficult bridge to cross. Yeah. Because, hard. as you said, I explored this in a show that I recently did. Um, that if if one were to do this as a hobby, not only does it cost a lot of money, but it costs a ton of time and stress. Yeah. So as somebody that's stepping into seeing this sort of play out, what were your initial, what was your initial perception of how this hobby was being run? Were you, you know, were you like, damn dude, like how, this is so stressful. Why, why is this your hobby?
1: Um, so he started from a place of love. So it was always something where he didn't mind if he didn't make money from it. It wasn't, um, it was part of the whole, he has something he calls the warrior lifestyle. And so physical training was part of that and CrossFit was what they used for it. So it was almost more of something for him to give back. Um, and he was so focused on his other business that it never needed to be standalone CrossFit store. So, um, when I took over and I saw the numbers and everything like that, I had tried to prepare for it. I was studying all these things. Um, I was trying to go to seminars to learn how to run affiliate. And, uh, I realized I knew nothing. (laughs) So um, it was a little bit of a oh crap moment (laughs) that there was all this work to be done and uh, I couldn't just work the affiliate by itself to survive. So I also worked for US Elite dealing with uh, uh, taking orders, shipping, receiving, sending out things. So um, I was literally showing up every day, either 445 or 530 in the morning, depending on what time the classes would start. And I was here until eight o'clock at night, five days a week. And I was commuting about an hour one direction. So uh, it was a big time oh crap moment, stressed out real bad and realized I needed help real quick. So um, the good thing was that just having someone dedicated to answering emails and phone calls and just literally getting back to people at a timely basis increased the membership quickly to 60 people, 50, 60. So it took some pressure off, but um, definitely changed things. My first two years, I uh, gained a lot of gray hair and about 30 pounds. So, um, it was surprising. Yeah. I was working out five days a week and I turned into working out maybe one day a week. (laughs) So I let the stress get to me too much.
0: Very, very common story. Uh, Dave. So when you looked at this thing, uh, you said that you realized you didn't know anything. You had to learn. Mm -hmm. What was the first step? What were the first things that you started to tweak in the affiliate? You said communication was a huge one. Which I could not agree more. That the idea of getting a, an email answered within a couple hours is unfortunately an anomaly in the affiliate world. So that tiny little one percent better it is a great first step. What other things did you begin to uncover in you know or begin to change in the affiliate once you took over?
1: So we actually didn't have a member management system. It was all done through QuickBooks, I believe. So uh, we added that. That was a good thing. So we actually knew who was coming, who was paying, and when things were due. Um, We also, we switched to the gym was kind of geared towards, um, I don't mean to say this as like an insult, but it was kind of geared towards meatheads, like the bros. It was overtaken by bros, and uh, it's hard to have a lot of people come in when it's only geared towards that mentality. So lots of cursing, big weights, you know, more strength focused. So we switched up kind of what the gym was focused on and how we coached and how we programmed. And that allowed people to enjoy it more. And then, um, the big part was it had a community, but the community wasn't highlighted. So, uh, I didn't know how to use social media well at that time, but we just started taking pictures and posting things. And, um, kind of starting to write down what to do with people as soon as they contacted us. So that way it wasn't different every single time on how people got started. So because there wasn't any one thing set so there was no continuity between people. So if I answered the phone or Steve answered the phone or a trainer answered the phone it was all different every time. So uh, the very first thing we did is we sat down, Steve and I. The great thing about Steve is that he has a business background. So he knew certain things like numbers didn't stress them out. Um, looking at balance sheets, doesn't stress them out. He gets all that stuff. He gets the loans, how to take loans from banks and, um, how to write business plans. So we sat down, we wrote core values and we wrote a business plan right away. So, and we still have it, like we still have it printed out or it's in our staff manual so the coaches can see our core values. So we needed to figure out who we were and who we wanted it to come in before we started doing anything.
0: I really like that because I want to tie that into, we're going to talk about marketing in a little bit because you have these different programs that you're running, some marketing around. So I definitely want to come back to this idea of core values and who is in the gym. Uh, but I, I want to settle here for a little bit more. You, so you said you, there were 20 people coming into the gym at, at the time that you took over. Did, were there feathers that were ruffled at the point of you coming in and how did you deal with that?
1: Yeah, so for sure. Um, well, first of all, since I was a part-time trainer at first, I was low on the, on the scale. There was two other trainers there um, besides Steve, um, really three, but the third one was moving to New York City, and that's why he was looking for a new trainer. So um, one of them literally moved, went on vacation, and when, before he we went on vacation, he was kind of my boss. There wasn't a hierarchy, but he's like senior trainer. And when he came back, I was his boss. So that didn't go really that well. <laughs> um, he was actually the first trainer to leave um, once I took over. So it kind of needed to. So again, he was someone that was good with one-on-one and people were competitive, but not in the group setting. He literally called someone an idiot one time who was first session. and I was like, come on, you gotta be kidding me because they picked up a medicine ball with a rounded back after going over deadlifts. I was like, really? (laughs) Um, so it definitely rustled some feathers changing the program did as well, because people couldn't do whatever they wanted to do since it was kind of a group of guys. Oh, we're don't switch. We're don't lift heavy. I feel like doing this. I feel like doing that. And, um, we made it more a program that you follow and you submit it to that program. That's part of what you're here for. You know, you're paying this price to follow a program because you don't do well on your own doing it or you always do power cleans or you always want to do push ups, or whatever happens to be. So, um, some people definitely didn't appreciate it and they, some of them voiced it. Some of them didn't. Um, I got called the coach Nazi pretty early on. It's funny. It's kind of like a weird compliment insult, you know, like you coach Nazi, you want to make everyone move well. Oh wow! Yeah, oh, it's kind of my job. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, it kind of changed some things. Out of that original group of people, we have the original kind of fifteen to twenty. I think there's six people still here from that. Um, some of them moved away. Some of them were like, "You're never going to succeed. You're going to fail anyway. This place is a joke now." And here we are. So um, I still see them every once in a while. It's close together here in New Jersey. So
0: I would say but definitely six. Dude, I'll be honest, Dave. Six to me sounds like a lot. When you describe that original group, <laughs> I would say, "Props yeah. to you. That is incredible retention. That you retained six out of those 20.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah Part of it was um, I learned some people skills, and uh, my wife constantly reminds me to smile when speaking to people. So, um, but uh, yeah, somehow six. Uh, what's funny is two of them are over sixty-five year olds now, sixty-five years old. These two women. It was so funny. They're at the gym because everyone else is kind of bro-ish. And then here's these two women, but you fast forward. Uh, they always liked deadlifts and lifting heavy. And to this day, they enjoy lifting heavy. So it's so funny. Yeah,
0: I love, I love these, I so love these us. two ladies.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's been fun.
0: A couple of things I want to talk about. You had said early on, you and Steve sat down and wrote down your core values. And then you started to change the program and say, who is it that we want in this gym? This is an interesting thing. Uh, This is an important exercise, in my opinion, that any business owner should identify who are our core clients. Who do we want in here? But the weird thing about that is that when you write those things down, who do you want in here, you're implicitly writing down, who do I not want in here? (laughs) Yeah. um, Talk through that a little bit. By saying that these are the people we want to serve, you're also saying this means that we just are unable to serve these other people. Speak to that a little bit.
1: So we knew we wanted families. And um, one of our core values for the gym is that we wanted to be one of the best hours of their day. Uh, So we have all protocols set in like, hey, every person's name has to be said at least three times. So um, it's funny. You walk into the gym, everyone that works here, you hear them say hi to them. Like even if they're coaching in the middle of class, they'll still wave and say hi. They'll say goodbye on the way out. So if you try and sneak out, everyone says goodbye. And even the members now do it. So let's say, like, Sam tries to sneak out. It's like, bye, Sam, bye, Sam, bye, Sam. Everyone says bye. So um, part of the principles, uh, part of the goal of that was to have, uh, everyone has their first home, and then they have a second or possibly a third place to go to. So we wanted to be the second or third place. So instead of, like, the bar or wherever it happens to be, we wanted to be that place for people. So when they come here, um, it's a little bit of an escape form, but it's also a place they know that they're going to leave feeling better, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, that was a big goal with it. And, uh what ended up happening was we, we wanted it to turn into family-based. So since we wanted family-based, we needed to attract women. So women speak more than guys. Guys will go somewhere, maybe invite their best friend, maybe not. A lot of guys don't have a core group of friends anymore. We're finding that as well, too, where uh, this whole group of guys, like 27 to 40, doesn't have a core group of friends. So But they end up finding it here. So they're not kind of marketing for you and talking about it. It's the women are specifically married women with kids because if they come and like it, they're bringing their husband, they're bringing their kid in and I'd rather have a family as a client because then I, could, I can control exactly what they say at the dinner table each night because I see them anywhere from four to six hours a week. We actually get a chance to see our end user. Most companies don't. So um, we knew we wanted that group and clientele. So our target was really 30, um, 27, 28 really to 40-year-old women who are married And have kids that was kind of our goal and um, a large population of our gym is in that category we do have some 18 to 30 year olds but they naturally come in the CrossFit just because they're attracted to something different and they don't have a lot of bills yet but um, most of our clients are in the category of hey I haven't worked out in a while I want to get back into it can I actually do CrossFit here so for anyone that comes and visits SOAR If they're dropping in, we usually have repeat drop ins we people come to visit their family. The biggest thing they say is everyone's just so nice here. It's awesome. Mm. You know, it's so welcoming. Everything's so welcoming. So um which we're proud of. We're happy about that. But that was our goal was to get that core.
0: I like that you differentiated there. I've always said, Dave, that uh, women market for you and men retain for you. That's a really interesting thing that we provide because you're right. Pretty much after college, men struggle with, like, finding core groups of friends, close friendships yeah. amongst other men. And, and I think the affiliate is a great place to do that. But no matter how much they love it, they will never bring in – you know, they just don't market. They don't – but women yeah. do if you give women success. So that's a really cool differentiator that you've made there. Um, oh, let's see. Where do we want to go with this? Um you had mentioned – okay, I really like what you said. You expect people to surrender to the program. You're coming yeah. here because you couldn't do it on your own or you you know you struggled with doing it on your own. Now, explain, first off, explain to me what you mean by surrendering to
1: the program. So um, the way I kind of explain it is uh, paying for CrossFit and not listening – and not being coachable, and I'll, I guess I'll define coachable in a second, what it means to me, um, is kind of like going to college, paying for college and not going to classes. At first it's okay, but eventually it's going to bite you in the butt. Like it's just going to. It's, gonna, it's just a matter of time, but all of a sudden you're like, crap, I have no idea what I'm doing. So um, for me, coachable is, I kind of have a rule of three, and I tell my coaches not to have this, um, but if I'm working with you, and I'm like, hey, I really think you should go with this weight, or some modification, you're like, no, no, I want to do this. And I'm like, okay, let's try this. And you're like, no, 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 no. I got this. I got this. I'm like, hey, trust me. I know like what your maxes are. I kind of seen you last week. We did something similar. I really think you should kind of do this in this workout. And you're like, no, I really want to do this. I'm like, okay, you can do whatever you want. And some of our members know if I say, okay, you can do whatever you want, you just became uncoachable. There's another 14 people in class that are paying and want to pay attention. I'm going to give them a lot, to, a lot more attention just because you at that moment become uncoachable to me. So, um, what I mean by surrender to the program is when we start people, we do is all personal training. So we explain uh, the CrossFit's model when it comes to mechanics, consistency, and then intensity. And we go over that, and we talk about how to scale in our foundations. Um, and we talk about kind of what the role of the coach is, and kind of w- set expectations for them. So that way, it's not like, all right, here I am in classes. All right, it says 135, and I'll use 135. So every single workout, we set a goal for members to hit. I know how many unbroken reps, how many rounds we want to do, what the flow should feel like. Um, so that way they're not – like even for Fran, we set a seven-minute time cap on it because we feel like if you're doing a 15-minute Fran, it's great that you put RX next to your name, but that wasn't Fran, you know, especially in the top in the world or going under two minutes on it. So um, we talk about nutrition that way. We talk about the cross with the pyramid where nutrition and recovery are the base of it. So it doesn't matter how many supplements you take or how much you work on that snatch, wherever it happens to be. If you don't have a foundation there, you don't have long-term health. Uh, recently, Ben Bergeron talked on a podcast, or no, he's, he's post on Instagram, how for his general population, his goal is to have them 10 years from now in better shape than they are now. That's long-term fitness. That's what his general population is focused towards. Whereas his competitors, it's they need to be good for the open, regionals, and the games. And necessarily preparing for that, like being the best that you can next week, the heaviest lift trying to always PR all the time might not be the best thing for long-term fitness. So we kind of explain this to people. That's a process. Hey, there's some movements you don't get right away. Some stuff takes forever and that's fine. That's part of the fun of CrossFit. Um, So we try to set the expectation of listen to the coaches. They have what's best for you on their minds. If they make a mistake, they will correct it and make things better for you. Remember, you're paying for it. You might as well receive it. You're paying for it. Receive it. This is the whole program. The program isn't come in, let your hair on fire, go way faster than you should, feel like your bones are broken for three days. That is not the goal. It's not the goal. We want you feeling better all the time. So sorry, I was a little long-winded. But. That
0: was amazing. Dave, I want to talk about a really interesting distinction that you've made, and it's very subtle, but I think it's very important. Um, so let's just start here. Safe to say, CrossFit Soar is not hurting for members. You guys seem to be doing great from a membership standpoint. We could always take more, but things seem to be, you seem to be a very successful affiliate, right?
1: Yeah, sure, I guess so. Okay, yeah. So
0: (laughs) I I just wanted, and and that was just, I was kind of, that was a leading question, obviously. So I wanted to talk about this really interesting distinction that I hear from different affiliate owners. You've essentially said to me, I'm a member of your gym, Dave. And you've said, Matt, you're paying me. Surrender to the program. I'm going to tell you what to do. I'm going to give you lanes to stay in. I'm going to put you in, you know, I'm going to to put you within this program because you're paying me, right? Mm. That's one side. You're very prescriptive toward me. The other side is, well, these clients are paying me all of this money. I feel bad telling them what to do. I mean, if they want to go find a random program off Instagram and do it in the corner, who am I to tell them otherwise? Talk okay. about these two uh, different mentalities.
1: So um, that happens a lot. And uh, we've had people have done that. And uh, even my coaches, I've talked to them about it. And uh, one of our phrases for our staff is every member's one bad experience away from leaving. So it's we don't allow people to do stuff on the side. Um, anything with barbells. If they're doing mobility, it's fine. If they're doing some strict pull-ups or gymnastics, we don't allow people to do anything that distracts the class. So if the trainer needs to speak over you or ask you to be quiet, something's wrong. And it's even more for my training staff. It's even more because they paid for this class. This is not open gym. You did not pay for the time to do stuff on your own. We have set open gym hours. That's when you do your own stuff. Otherwise, these people are paying $175 a month. And you're so distracting that they're not getting the service they're paid for. Mm. And so now it's, uh, we talk about it like as being an emotional bank account. So we want to be, as trainers, always investing in people's emotional bank account. If we allow people to do their own stuff based on their athletic ability or, you know, that person has a a two-and-a-half-minute friend so they can do their own stuff, that is now, we are taking away from that emotional investment in those other people. And people want to feel emotionally invested in and they want to feel like people care about them. So by giving people special privileges our core membership now, which drives the business. I like, for me personally, the guy who's going to regionals, we have a master's athlete who's going this year. He does not drive my business. Am I happy for him? hundred percent. Are we celebrating it? Yeah. we Are we getting a community behind him? Absolutely. But those people do not drive my business, do not pay my bills, do not pay my coaches, do not create the environment that I want. Um, we used to have a competitive program. We personally got rid of it just because we didn't have a separate space for him to do those workouts. Um but what ended up happening is we had to cancel it a few times because egos got big. Hey, there's a class going on. There's 15 people in it. Well, I'm late. I'm going to set myself up wherever I want. I'm going to do something because I'm a competitor. It was like, no. So the vast majority of highly competitive people we had at the gym, I've actually asked to leave. Oh, there's been situations where they realized like, yeah, I probably shouldn't come back. So in that number, I think we've asked about 15 to 20 people to leave over the course of four and a half, five years.
0: So, so just to make
1: sure the environment's right.
0: This is a question. I, I'm sure this is very hard for you to quantify, but try as best you can here. Let's, let's say hypothetically you've asked 20 people to leave your gym because they just didn't, they didn't fit within the lanes that you've established. They didn't fit within these core values of who you want in your gym. How I'm guessing that asking somebody to leave it's hard because, ooh, that's one less person that's paying you know that's one less person that's yeah. paying me money. Yeah. I, I think mm-hmm. that that comes from a place of scarcity, and unfortunately, I think a lot of business owners are living in a place of scarcity, yeah. so let's just say for every one dollar that you invested in kicking somebody out of your gym, how many dollars have come back to you in reinvestment into your culture?
1: I really have no idea how to uh, quantify that since um. I used to be kind of the quote-unquote overlord of the community, and now the community is strong enough. Members didn't see it that way, but that's kind of like the way it was. Um, it was like high-end babysitting sometimes. <laughs> um, but now the community is strong enough that the expectations are set by the members themselves when new people come in. So like, we don't really curse. We're mostly families. We don't curse in the gym. We don't have music that's cursing. So when cu- someone comes in and dropping F-bombs and this and that, they can see that it's not normal. So no one has to really say anything to them. The community itself is like, Hey buddy, we don't do that here. Or whatever it happens to be, you know, the way people act or not listen to the coaches, the community sets the expectation for everyone else to come in now, which is nice. So, and that started with the trainers, um, and myself. And now the community's strong enough and they're friends enough. They all hang out outside the gym that when you come here that you can just feel that it's kind of the ethos of the gym. Um, To try and quantify it, I have no idea. I guess this is another good future trip and example. One of our most competitive athletes I had to sit down and talk to. And uh, the rumor was that she was taking some of our members to other gyms to try and find a new place to go. And when I talked to her the first time, she was like, all these people want to leave the gym. And what I found was whenever a member tells me that a lot of people feel some way, it's usually just them, but they're trying to come across as being bigger than what they are. And uh, it was probably the first person I asked to leave that I was very nervous about. Mm. I was like, oh no, this person's such a big part of the the community. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what I'm going to do. And we sat down, we talked. I'm like, hey, it sounds like we're just not the right fit for you. It's okay. And uh, after that happened, the gym started to find out. All these people came and started thanking me for it. So usually if someone is to that point where you have to ask them to leave, the community will be happy that you you asked them to leave. And I've done it a few times. And it's been funny because to this day, I think my wife and I are the only people that still communicate with her. Like I didn't stop being friends with her, but the gym almost shunned her, which I felt bad about afterwards. But the gym was appreciative, and they are like, hey, Dave has our back. Mm-hmm. And we even have that in our uh, Bill of Rights and our uh, contract with our new people. Is like, hey, if you have any issues, please let me know. If, I, if you don't let me know, I can't help you. But at the same time, if you're not a right fit for our community, I will ask you to leave. Just want to give you a heads up. Like There are consequences, positive and negative here. So we want to make this place a home for people, and part of that is having the right people. So everyone knows that out of the gate. They, they understand it. So.
0: so by taking proactive steps to protect your culture, it sounds to me like your culture has almost become this amoeba of its own that sort of self-selects the right people.
1: Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty easy to tell what people are going to fit in, who aren't. Um, it's so bad, but I guess it's good at the same time. Members don't warm up to them if there's someone that they don't feel like will be in, you know, will fit with the community. So, um, and it's really on the trainers to make sure, even if the community doesn't warm up to those people right away, that the trainers still are who they're supposed to be. So that way the community sees, Hey, the trainers are being nice. Let's be nice too. It's really funny, but it's, it's almost like a monster, but it can be good or bad. So, um, it's pretty funny though when it happens. (laughs) Uh,
0: Here's an interesting question for you. Uh, we we kind of have this joke. M- m- myself and my coaches have a joke about when somebody first contacts us or comes in for uh, an intro session, whatever it is. We sort of have this triage that we go through that's sort of become. We joke about it, you know. It, we call it like a three-strike rule if somebody says certain phrases, and it's weird yep. though because we didn't have this until we got super serious about our culture, like, These are the people that are on the bus. These are the types of people that are off the bus. They're paying us for this. If they come in and they don't want what we offer, it's not a good fit. And it's weird that we sort of have collectively as our staff uh, developed a spidey sense in a weird way to where you almost know within like eight seconds of talking to somebody or two or three emails back and forth. It's almost like, bro, I'm I'm sorry, this probably is not a good fit. Do do you have that experience as well, a weird like, spidey sense of good fit or bad?
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, Some people are very subtle about it. You can tell they're just kind of looking for deals or discounts all the time. Or, you know, well, I pay this for a gym amount. So um, usually for me, it's whether people are focused on price or value. So instead of asking, what do I get for that? What does your cert gym offer? It's how much is it? Mm. So there's even times where I pick up the phone. I'm like, hey, uh, hello, this is CrossFit Swords. This is Dave speaking. How can I help you? And they're like, how much is it? I'm like, oh, not remember. Not a remember. <laughs> like the first, pri- the first thing before they even say their name is how much is it? And it's like, do you have any deals going on? Uh, do you have this? Do you have that? You know, it's more than I'm looking to spend. Is there anything we can work out? And I try to explain to them that it's wrong, for me to give them a special deal compared to everyone else that's paying the full price. like it's, it's wrong to everyone else. And some people understand that. And some people are like, that's ridiculous. I'm like, well, you've never even come in and tried it. So how do you even know what my product is? Mm-hmm. Like, you don't even know what we offer. You just, you're you just looking at a price tag. And usually that's where they get upset and they don't want to talk anymore. So
0: <laughs> I love but, that.
1: Um, you, yeah, you definitely can tell sometimes.
0: I like that. So that's, So that's one of ours. I was talking to you about our triage, the the how much is it is definitely one of ours. the The other one that we've sort of developed is there. There's about two or three phrases that everybody says when they're resistant to going through some type of on ramping or fundamentals process, and it's typically like, "Hey man, I play Division two football." So like any or anytime somebody starts with that kind of thing, I'm like, "Ugh, yep. not a great fit."
1: Yeah, so usually what I'll do is when we have uh, that ego-driven person who thinks like they can do everything in CrossFit because they played a college sport or um, whatever they happen to do, I'll take them for the free session. i would be like, tell you what, why don't you come in, let's sit down and talk, let's see what you can do. And I usually put them through a burpee kettlebell swing workout as the first workout. And one of two things happen. Either they get humbled or like, man, I'm like, yeah, let's let's do that foundations, let's ramp up your intensity so this doesn't happen to you in class, or i never see them again. So... But what I usually do is I set the expectation of how fast this workout would be done in class. And it might be simple as 20, 15, 10 burpees and kettlebell swings. And for most new people, the idea of doing 20 burpees in a row just crushes their soul. Like just absolutely crushes them. Like they start off all happy and then it's over 10 burpees in. So um, we set the expectation for time and kind of where we want to see them at. And then they're like, wow, I really need help. And this is after we go over stuff like overhead squats for mobility screening, and we talk about Olympic lifting and all these things. So they're already in a base of, I came in thinking I know everything. Wow, I need a lot of help. I just got my soul crushed. And usually it's, man, I'm going to sign up for this. This is awesome. I haven't felt like this in a long time, or we never see them again. And again, that's like the select few who kind of are ego-driven, and I just tell are not going to be, this is going to go one way or another. There is no middle ground here. So uh I forget who said it, but they're like the bell curve for members is there's 60% core who just want your regular monthly memberships. There's a 20% that if you're offering it, they'll buy it. So um, we just did a running seminar and it sold out like in 48 hours, which was great. Um, And then there's a 20% that are looking to, they're your high attention, low revenue per month client who's always trying to get discounts, always trying to take advantage of stuff. And it's funny, but it's like, you're always trying to get rid of those people. Like they're, always, like they're always taking the most time away from the people that actually want the help, and they're the most emails, and they're the most complaints, and the person who shows up late to class doesn't know what's going on because they didn't even look at the workout, and now they need one, one-on-one help. So uh, I have a tendency to try and take those people if they come in so I don't waste my trainer's time. I enjoy it. I have to pay my trainers to do it, so I'll, I'll, it's fun for me to do it.
0: I like that. That's cool. So uh, I want to wrap up, Dave. You've got some cool things going on in your gym, some uh, programs that that you're launching at the moment. And what I'd like to do is talk a little bit about filling these programs, marketing these things. It, we talked off air. You've got these mm-hmm. corporate lunch programs. You've got some sports-specific programs. You do uh, birth fit at your affiliate. So mm-hmm. um, maybe let's briefly just talk about the rough idea of these things. And the question I get asked all the time, I want to do this program How do I get people in it? How do I get more members in the door? How do I, you know, whatever it is. So I want you to kind of talk about what your process is for marketing and filling these programs. So let's start off, Dave. Uh, What are just some of the cool things you got going on as far as programs and classes at SOAR in the near future?
1: So uh, we're starting something called QuickFit that is geared towards uh, stay-at-home moms and then the corporate lunch crowd. We have a good amount of corporations around us, and it's untapped revenue that we really haven't focused on yet. And again, since we are in a part of New Jersey where it's a lot of families, some of these people are, hey, wake up at 5, go to work, I go home, I have to pick up the kids, I have to do this, I have to do that. So it's either 5 a.m. or nothing for them to work out. So um, we're trying to create a lunchtime program where we're in the process of it where they can come in 30 minutes, it's quick warm-up, not heavy weights, not complicated movements, get their sweat on and get out. And so um, part of the tagline is like, get in, get out so you can conquer the rest of your day Um, because a lot of people are kind of missing this aspect of it. Uh, So one of the things we figured out real quick was at first it was almost like you opened up a CrossFit and people would just show up. And uh, now we have to kind of educate people more and people need to see something. I forget what the average amount of times is before they kind of commit to it. So it's like just because someone clicks on your Facebook ad one time doesn't mean they're going to show up. Just because we're on a very busy street, you can see our building. Just because people drive by, it might take a hundred times for them driving by to decide to come in. Um, Or maybe seeing people run the street is like a negative time for them because they're like, I don't like running. I don't like running. What is this? So now they need to see something else that attracts them. So um, what we realized with programs like QuickFit is that we really needed to do a solid six to eight week ramp up to get the idea out there and create email campaigns, and spend more money on Facebook advertising than we thought. Um, when you look at like, let's say for like a CrossFit member, it's $175 a month at SOAR. So even if it takes me $175 to get that one person to come in, the next month it's already paid for itself. Mm-hmm. So we need to be able to, willing to look at like, because a lot of times we were like $30 of Facebook ads, $50 of Facebook ads. Maybe we have someone in, but we have all these click throughs that just cost me money. So we weren't putting enough money in those avenues. Um, so we're doing that for QuickFit, and it hasn't launched yet. It's still April 25th. It's going right now. We have people clicking on the links for more information to sign up for the free session. And so we put them into an email campaign to educate them more and get them excited and talk about inviting their friends as well. Cause that's really the best marketing. Um, so a lot of our marketing now is geared towards, Hey, let's get people to know who we are. Not as much as let's get people to come in the door. That's part, that is part of it, but we want to educate people on what we're doing and why we're different because uh, just saying that you're CrossFit doesn't necessarily mean someone's going to walk through the door. Um, so we are doing that for uh, quick fit as well as birth BirthFit. Um, and I'll talk about birth fit in a second. But we also have specialty courses here. We rotate them every three to four weeks. Um, so we do edited videos every Tuesday on social media, every Friday on YouTube. That's free added value for our members. And part of it is our coaches brand themselves as experts within the community and outside the community because we have a lot of people following us who are, don't go to the gym. Um, and we had funny stuff up there, too. So we their friends follow their friends uh, doing funny stuff at the gym. But um, what it does for our own members is it lets them know how much they really don't know. So we don't let our coaches tell people they're doing good. It's better, same, worse. Mm-hmm. If it's better, you say it's better. If it's the same or worse, you try to correct them again. So um, part of that is mentally, if you tell someone they're good, they have a tendency to stop listening. So we want to let members know that there's still things that they can improve on and we have these separate programs that help them with these certain skills, um, whether it's snatching, clean and jerking, powerlifting, gymnastics, all these things. And that's all added revenue. It adds to our revenue per client per month um, and it helps our coaches create room revenue as well because we use a four nines model. Um, as far as birth fit, um, we were introduced to it because one of our members got pregnant and she wanted to keep working out and we didn't know what to do. We we're like, don't jump. Like, I don't know, the baby might come out. Like, what are we supposed to do? So uh, my wife and I went to a uh, BirthFit seminar that was in, was about an hour away from us. And we we're like, hey, we should do this because you're 100% guaranteed to have someone pregnant at your gym. So let's do this. And uh, we ended up filling out forms to be a BirthFit affiliate. And BirthFit's out of uh, LA. Um, so we went out to a summit out there. And my wife ended up being a regional director for the Northeast and she's also on their seminar staff, uh, birth fit training seminars for coaches to go to, to learn how to modify things through each trimester and what to look out for, and uh, a lot of it. It's more than just training; it's nutrition, mindset, chiropractic work, and the actual physical training, fitness. Um, and it's been neat because it's allowed my wife to actually quit her job, and she's doing that. That is what she's doing. Um, and what we learned with this is there's a massive need for it. So it's something that we knew there was a need. And now we just need to educate people to let them know that we have what they need. Mm. And that was more about not just posting up or doing seminars or prenatal courses or postpartum courses, but hey, let's add content. Let's start networking with people. Let's work with local businesses. Um, let's call all these hospitals that have birthing classes. Let's see if we can go talk. So um, a lot of that has turned into, let's go do a free conversation about BirthFit, fit, half hour to an hour. And that leads into, as a funnel into our programs, whether you're working with people who are pregnant, trying to get pregnant, are pregnant, or just had a baby, birth fit can help you in some way, shape, or form. Because there really isn't much for postpartum after you have that baby. Usually they check in with the doctor six weeks. Hey, go ahead. And there can be a massive amount of issues with separation of abdominal wall. And uh, so my wife's been certified through all that. And she does this at different gyms. So she's only running seminars to help all those coaches out. So um, a lot of our marketing has turned into, hey, we have to do it longer than we think. We have to put more money into it than we think. And more of it is about letting people know who we are than necessarily trying to sell them something right away. Hey, this is who we are. It's not who you think we are. It's not your buddy that tried CrossFit it one time, didn't listen to anyone, um, ripped his hands on the pull-up bar, hit his face with the barbell and never went back. This is who we are. So mm-hmm. a lot of our marketing is, this is who we are. This is who we want to attract and this is what we provide for you. It's not buy, 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 buy. It's more education than it is selling, if that makes sense.
0: Yes. Uh, Dave, I like that a lot. And you had mentioned you know, there's a certain number of times that somebody needs to hear something or see something before they make a decision towards it. And this is, I mean, the kind of rule that we use is five times. People have to see something, hear something, open an email, see a text message, see a Facebook ad. They need to see that five times before they're going to take an action. And it it sounds like to me, you describe your marketing effort for all of these really cool programs as, I'm going to find a hundred ways to show you something five times. Safe to say that that's (laughs) kind of your approach?
1: Yeah. So we're trying to get everything out there as many different ways as possible. So uh, we try to make sure we do YouTube videos that are shareable, um, people like, and you know, we tag our members as much as we can because that's kind of the low-hanging fruit as our members, friends that are close by. So we want them to see CrossFit soar and, hey, it's fun. Hey, it's community-based. Hey, I'm gonna get in shape. There's results. We don't want to just see them as, hey, that's that crazy CrossFit gym. That's a warehouse where I see my friends lifting crazy weights. Or the guy that posts his shins completely scraped up when he falls on a box jump. You know, we want to show like all sides of the gym, not just the crazy intense side of it. So that way they can say, eventually they'll say yes. Mm. Eventually they will. So we've had people come in where they're like, yeah, I've known about you for over a year. I just, just never knew if it was right for me. And then, um, and they follow us on Facebook and they follow us on Instagram and they finally saw some content that was, you know what? I can do this. Whatever it was, it made them kind of come in and try it. Whoever person we highlighted where we do source stories once a month where we do, uh, a longer YouTube video on members to talk about their experiences here and how far they've come. Um, Wherever it happens to be, highlight videos of people. But there's always something. It might, literally, I think it was the longest I've ever heard was three years people knew who we were and they were trying to get in shape enough to do CrossFit. And then I don't even know what, I forget exactly what it was. Um, I think we did a a video on, it was a mother-daughter and how CrossFit has given them an opportunity to talk about something and they're getting a chance to know each other better. And that wherever it was that resonated with her. And she's like, you know what? I want that with my daughter. My daughter's 14. She doesn't talk to me. Maybe this is something we can do together. She's in the fitness too. And so they both joined up and it wasn't about the fitness. It was about having a bonding experience with her daughter. Mm. So Mm. yeah,
0: Dave, I think that's the perfect takeaway for our audience today is that people sit with your brand, They are thinking about joining your gym for way longer than you could ever imagine. It's not a, you know, this weekend I heard, you know, one of your members told me to come to CrossFit, and I just came on Monday. People just don't behave like that when it comes to making drastic lifestyle changes. So you as a business owner, you have this responsibility to constantly share your story with other people and and be relentless about it, which it sounds to me, Dave, like you are relentlessly Sharing your story, so gym owners that are listening to this, uh, start today. Share a story, take a picture. Uh, it's and just consistently do it, and then it has. It's almost compounding interest. It has the effect of compounding interest. You share all these stories, you do all of these marketing, and eventually, then somebody comes in and they say, "Hey, three years ago I saw this thing, and now I'm coming in the door." And you just you, but you have to start that tidal wave today. And then it will pay dividends as you go forward. So um, I think that's a that should be our key takeaway today, Dave, because that's uh, incredible. Uh, we went through a lot, uh, Dave. Uh, I really... Yeah.
1: <laughs> Except for what we wanted to talk about. <laughs> I know, exactly.
0: But do you know what that makes for the best episodes? I know this is going to be a great one because we did not cover any of my original notes. So... <laughs> That's how you know it was good. So uh, Dave Whitson uh, from CrossFit Soar. Go follow him on Facebook. You can uh, head over to their website if you want to see some of these videos. Dave, do you guys have a a YouTube channel or something they can check out? Yeah, we have a
1: YouTube channel. We're most active on Instagram and YouTube. So um, we're actually trying to change YouTube to a separate revenue source right now as well. Oh, really um, cool. Really cool. Yeah. All right. We're fortunate. We have a guy who's into editing videos, and he's one of our trainers. So very fortunate with that.
0: Oh, that's amazing. Okay, so I, uh, I'm i following CrossFitSore on Instagram right now uh, before I have to pay to follow him on Instagram.
1: <laughs> I'm oh, kidding. that can ever happen. But
0: yeah. <laughs> I'm joking. Uh, no, uh, so yeah, guys, go follow him on Instagram. Check out what they're doing. Uh, check out their YouTube channel and, and see all those videos and just get an idea of really what it means to relentlessly share that story. Uh, Dave Whitson, thanks so much for your time, man.
1: Uh, thank you. Appreciate it.
0: Will you uh, Will you come back on the show, and we can maybe cover some of the original notes I had?
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. This is fun. This is cool.
0: Awesome. Cool, brother. Uh, have a great rest of your day.
1: All right. Thanks. You too.